Yeah. We are in Mark. We are online. We're live, Tony? Mark, Mark chapter 5. And this is a continuation of a series of miracles and, and that, G, that Mark is recording. And uh, the unique thing about these miracles in, in end of Mark 4 and Mark 5 is they, are, they go beyond what the disciples had, had come to understand about Jesus. They knew that he could heal. They knew that he could cast out demons. But they're going to see uh, these things. And tonight's actually going to be two stories. In this series of four powerful miracles, uh, you've got the storm. And remember, what was the result of the storm? They were fearful. They, they were afraid. Not of uh, a danger, not of a threat, but they were afraid because they were in the presence of the divine, seeing and, un, uh, and experiencing things they didn't understand. Uh, what we talked about last week was, was spooky. Again, that may not be a very correct term, but it's uh, that feeling of like, I am, I'm afraid. This is, I don't know what's going on. And then the demonic act, the de- demonic, uh, and the people of Decapolis were afraid. They didn't want him around. You'd think that everyone would be excited, but they were intimidated. Then we're going to have the woman tonight that's going to come to Jesus, and she's going to be healed. I was going to say right in there, she was terrified and fearful when she realized what had happened to her. She came to, be, he t- came to touch Jesus. She touched him, and it's like, what happened to her? She was afraid. Now, you may want to read the story and think, she was afraid that she was in the crowd and was being exposed. And I've heard it taught that way, and you can consider that as we go through this. She was, oh, they're going to find out that I'm unclean in a public place and everyone's going to see me. But that doesn't match the flow here. She was terrified. She was afraid of the, she'd gotten so close to God and touched him, and it changed her. And so you're going to see her be fearful. And then uh, uh, Jer- Jairus... Jairus, uh, I looked this up, make sure I say it right. Jair, it's like chair, chair, Jairus. Jairus, again, I've, I've, Jairus, I, I've said it a variety of so I try to look it up, so I say, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do a better job of pronouncing words, which is a huge weakness. Uh, and they're going to, when Jesus is going to come in, and he says, she's not a, she's not dead, she's asleep, they're going to laugh at him, and then he's going to raise her, and it's going to be a similar response. Everyone's going to be like, what is going on in these stories? And even the, and the disciples, the people, the, the parents that were with him and the disciples are going to be like, well, what just happened? And so these four stories are kind of packed together here uh, by Mark to demonstrate that Jesus is doing things beyond what they can, can experience or understand. Uh, Let's just read through it so we get a, read the text, and then we'll come back, and I want to lay a little more foundation on it. Uh, but here it is, chapter 5, verse 21, right after the story of the demons. Now, they'd gone, they'd gone across the Sea of Galilee, as you know, and again, here I go, I was going to read it, and I'm talking. Uh, they were here in Capernaum, he, Jesus was on a boat, went across, uh, the, the storm came, Here's in this area, we talked about that last week, he heals the demon. Uh, the, the man with the demon drives the legions out, the pigs go in the sea. Now they're going to sail back over here. Here, uh, they asked him to leave, but he also told the man to go and tell everyone. Here he comes back over here. Now the crowds are going to be. Now they're, they're looking for him. They do not know. Now again, as the disciples come back, they're like, these people do not know what, 
who he is. Uh, they, they're, they're crowding around. These people were afraid of him. Now he comes, the crowd's back there again, and they're in Jewish territory. So anything that happens here, you can anticipate what he said, told this man, go tell everyone. Here, you, you would expect him to, something miraculous is going to happen. It's going to be like, let's not tell anybody. Let's keep this under, under wraps. Again, because he wants to identify himself as the Messiah on his terms, not their preconceived ideas of what they think the Messiah is going to do. So he's back over here on this side. Uh, it doesn't say specifically where it's at, uh, but because Jairus' name is going to be identified, and there's only two pe- personal names listed, Bar- Bar- uh, Barabbas uh, and, and Jared, Darius, uh, it's po- we don't know why it's mentioned. But his name came down with the story. It may be because it, it, in the Capernaum area, Peter may have known him or something. Uh, and so we don't know where it's at, but it, he went, they went back over here. The crowds were waiting. Uh, so it's safe, I think, at least to consider that he's back in hometown Capernaum over in this area. So that's, that's where the story takes place. Just continue it, a continuation. Chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So again, he didn't go into the city, go, oh, look who's here. It was by the lake. So it's like they're looking for him, or they see him coming. They recognize his boat, or someone's coming across with him. You know, the paparazzi are following him around. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus, came there seeing jesus he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him my little little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live so jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes <laughs> it's kind of fun. who touched my clothes uh you see the people the disciples are going to say now you see the people crowding against you his disciples answered and yet you can ask who touched me uh, because many people were touching his clothes but Jesus kept looking, that's a good translation of that, that verb, around to see who had done it. When the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Now again, that's where you got to decide. Is she trembling with fear because she's going to be exposed for having snuck this in or being out in public? Or is she trembling with fear the same way they were trembling with fear after the storm? The people of the Decapolis are trembling with fear. Now she's tried it and touched it. It's like now she's trembling with fear, which, again, gives you the whole different perspective. If I'm on the boat with Jesus in the storm, I'd be like, oh, cool, Jesus. Or over here watching demons, oh, cool, Jesus. Or watching people get healed, oh, cool, Jesus. No, you'd be like terrified, terrified, terrified. I'm too close to God, which matches the ideal of Moses going up the mountain. He says even Moses, even I'm trembling. Uh, to be in the presence of God. And so again, Jesus is revealing 
his deity. Uh, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So she told him the whole story. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus and the synagogue ruler saying, your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Now, again, you can see right here, we've got a sandwich story. You start with Jairus. You got the story, the complete story of the woman. The woman's story is come and gone. It's, it's complete. Now we go back to the Jairus story. And there's several times in the book of Mark that he does this. He starts with a story. As he's telling this story, he tells you another story, completes that story, and goes back to this story. But somehow, they're connected. Again, it's, it's a right. It's, he's not just rambling, you know, you know, posting stuff on social media. He's... There's, it's a style that he's using. While Jesus was still speaking, some of the men uh, from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, came, says, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring, and we'll look at that word, that they said, what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. And now, possibly, uh, and I'll say this again later, when he says, don't be afraid, just believe, like what's that mean you've just seen a great demonstration of faith this woman came up touched him and now she's told him everything and who's standing there listening jairus is standing there listening to this woman who touched jesus she says it's been 12 years that this problem has been going on and and i touch it and, I, and i'm healed it's like i was hopeless i spent all my money I, no one can help me and look okay very good now they come your daughter's dead jesus looks at jairus and says you need to believe and now what's his close example of faith? Because Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jairus hears this bad news. He says, now you've got to have faith. And right there, it's probably a direct connection. Uh, it doesn't say it specifically, but you can see how Jairus would have watched this whole episode, heard the whole story, and Jesus' word, you've got faith. It has healed you. Jairus, you need to have faith. Don't be afraid, he says, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And those are professional mourners. And you can tell they're professionals because as soon as they break character, they laugh at Jesus. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And he doesn't mean I'm going to wake her up because she's asleep. It's, it's a word that means she's dead, but I'm going to, she's still around. She's dead in Christ, or she's dead in the sense that uh, she's still there. Uh, he'll be able to call her back. And that, it's used throughout the Bible as a, a form of death, but not like gone. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples, and that would be uh, the three that are with him, who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. Notice that, how old she is? Same age as the woman had been suffering. Just interesting. And it's something we can work with that. 
And as they were complete, okay, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So there's the story that we've got taking place all with this crowd of him walking to Jairus' house. And now we take a look at the notes and some things that we'll point out. Um, the first two points we've already said pretty clearly. The third one, uh, there's a, about the sandwich, and I've got written down there chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 11, uh, chapter 14, all have similar double stories going on. Both these accounts are about faith. And here are the parallels that are just interesting in these two stories. The parallels are there's, there are two females, the woman and the daughter. Both are hopeless situations, especially being dead. There was hope for the teacher healing the daughter because they'd seen that before. But it's amazing how they come and say, don't bother the teacher. She, she's already dead. There's nothing we can do. And it's like, you know, again, j- clearly they have an understanding of what Jesus can do. Uh, Jairus says, you know, come lay your hands on her. He's seen Jesus touch people. So now if I can just get you over here and you can just touch her, she'll be healed. Well, now that she's dead, it's like all of a sudden it's like, well, we've never seen this before. We've never seen the storm. We've never seen him cast out a legion of demons. We've never seen him raise someone from the dead. So both in their minds are hopeless situations. Ah, interestingly, we should point this out too, ceremonially, ceremonially, ceremonially uh, impure. And that goes with this whole account going back to the Sea of Galilee. You've got the demon over here. That is unclean. You've got the woman over here. Who, she is ceremonially unclean. And now you've got a dead girl, and she is unclean. All three of these are unclean situations. Not only is the, the man possessed with demons unclean because of, it says, unclean spirit, is he's living in tombs where there's dead bodies, which makes him unclean. And when the demons come out, they go where? Into pigs, which are unclean. Jesus comes back over here, and he's immediately touched by a woman who is unclean and has now got to go to a dead body which is unclean. So Jesus is just totally being, he's just totally ceremonially defiled. But here, he cleaned this man. Here, he cleaned this woman. And here, he's going to take the dead body and clean the dead body, which again is, it's not explicitly stated in the text, but when you look how obvious it is, it's just totally, it's just going around from unclean situation one after another. And so again, it mentions unclean or impure uh both are called daughters the girl and the woman uh 12 years we mentioned that the girl is 12 years old the woman's been suffering for 12 years and the healing involves jesus and a touch in both cases now the opposites are just as interesting Uh, jairus is named we know who he is the woman remains nameless Jairus has status, and we'll talk a little bit about that. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He's got some status. People know who he is. Uh, the woman is not even supposed to be in public. She can't go to the, she hasn't gone to the temple for 12 years. She can't be in public without people becoming unclean. So she's isolated. Jairus is up front. Jairus is important enough to summon Jesus to his house. He says, come to my house. 
and Jesus follows him. The woman has to go find Jesus in a crowd. She's got to go to Jesus. And Jairus approaches Jesus. He comes up to him in his face. Now he falls down in front of him, but he comes up into his face. The woman comes up from behind, just kind of wanting to creep up on him and touch him. Jairus is going to go to his his face. Uh, uh, Both of them, uh, Jairus goes uh, to his face and asks him to, come see his daughter or touch his daughter the woman comes up from behind to be touched so there are both very a lot of several parallels and some opposites that take place um and then i just point out as we already said the synagogue ruler is apparently encouraged to follow the woman's faith so that would be a little bit of a contrast you've got the religious leader being advised by jesus to follow the woman's example when he says You've got to have faith just like she's had faith. It's worth pointing out that Jairus is a synagogue ruler, which would be a religious leader. And so all of a sudden you've got a religious leader that's not opposing Jesus. He's coming to Jesus for help, which again kind of starts breaking down that barrier. Don't, you've got, it's not absolutely black and white that you've got over here. Anyone that's associated with the Jewish religion is against Jesus. There's some that have come over and are going to follow him. So here we go. We read the NIV. Now we have the English Standard Version on the notes, chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat, again, it's it's still saying in the boat, not a boat. So it's apparently the same boat he was preaching in that they sailed across in, that they're sailing back in. It's the boat. To the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So as he's coming out of the, the boat, the great crowd is there. You're back in Jewish territory. And the crowd is going to do what the crowd does. They're going to crowd around him and be looking to get things for him. I'm putting most likely in Capernaum, back in Jewish territory. Chapter 5, verse 22. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, it's plural. One of the rulers of the synagogue. Again, it doesn't say which synagogue. uh, And it doesn't say where we're at. It just says the synagogue. So since it's the synagogue, I think it's possible that you could at least put out there on the table as a suggestion that when it says the synagogue, uh, it must be the synagogue that we're familiar with, that this whole storyline's. We've had all, all through this story, Jesus has been by the Sea of Galilee this whole time. Everything's happened by the sea, by Capernaum, except the time they left and came back. So again, it's pretty, at least I'm, gonna, I'm going to, in my mind, I'm assuming they're back in Capernaum and it's the ruler of the synagogue that had Jesus, you know, was, was asked to read apparently earlier because he was reading there in the synagogue. Uh, Jairus by name and chair Jairus. Jairus by name and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So I've got this written down here. I've got not all of the Greek text in here, but here's this one. Uh, first, I've got that next box right there, top of page two, and there I've got the pronunciation. Uh, Jer, as in chair, with us, Cheris, Jairus, Jairus, I mean. Uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue. Here's what we can say about synagogue rulers. First, a synagogue leader was an administrator of the synagogue. They weren't like the pastor, the preacher, the scribe, the rabbi. They were the leader. They were kind of the administrator of it. Here's what their responsibility was. Um, the synagogue did not have profe- a professional class of officials. 
uh, but lay synagogue members who were entrusted by the community's elders. They would have, I think it's uh, any Jewish community could form a synagogue if they had, I think it was 10 males. So if you could have 10 men, you could have a synagogue. Now, of course, some would be bigger, but there would be 10. And then within that group of the leaders, the elders of the synagogue that had got together to form a synagogue, they would find one of them would be kind of in charge. They would be like making sure that the building was taken care of, making sure, well, I can read it here, uh, the, the scrolls, where I've got something about the scrolls. They had to secure the scrolls. Um, I'm trying to see where I wrote that down. And I don't, is it pointing? Yeah, obtain and maintain the scrolls. So they'd have to maintain the building. They'd have to provide security. They would have to, uh, you know, if you're going to have 10 guys and have a synagogue, you'd have to have something to read. So you'd have to go out and secure, make sure you had the scrolls, accurate scrolls, take care of the scrolls. Um, and then on schedule the services, and you'd be the one who would not necessarily read the scriptures, do the preaching, do the teaching, but you would find someone to read from the scrolls. You know, can, and you'd identify what scripture you're going to read. Uh, you'd have to then have someone that would do the talking or the preaching, the explaining. Uh, and so that would all, and you can see the synagogue rulers, especially in Acts, when Paul would show up, Paul and Barnabas show up, the synagogue leaders would often then, guess who ends up preaching? When Paul visits the synagogue, where does he end up? Preaching, because he's a rabbi from Jerusalem, trained by Gamaliel, and you're going through Gentile territory, also we've got Paul, or Saul, trained by Gamaliel, sitting here, it's like, oh, well, this would be great, you want to, uh, you want to read and preach today. And so they'd bring him out. So the synagogue ruler was not, uh, i got to write these things down, he was not a worship leader, point C. He was not professionally trained as a scribe, and he was not a rabbi. He was a local member that was appointed to oversee uh, the building, the scrolls, and then the services. And so this would be uh, who Jairus was. Uh, in Acts 13, there was mentions two synagogue rulers in the same synagogue. Most likely, there's just be one. Uh, but anyway, that's what Jer- that's who Jairus was. He was the synagogue ruler, maybe in Capernaum, and he was in charge of the synagogue. He may have been the one who asked Jesus to read the scripture. When he says, when he when he reads, it says, "Today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing." And he began to speak, and they says, he does. He speaks as one with authority. He's not quoting all the previous rabbis. He's just telling us what it means and so jairus may have been very familiar with jesus uh and then point four notice he came he falls and he begs and it's written by mark in the historical present and that's why i put this up you can look under each of those words in in verse 22 and 23 the word comes you can't tell it right there but it's You've got the, the underneath there, it's, it's the verb, it's, it's in the imperfect present. So it's, it's in the, he's writing as if it's happening right there, but it's, he's writing it in the historical that this is taking place. Now he's going to switch tenses when he starts telling the story about the woman. So that, that's interesting how that takes place, just to mention it. Okay, chapter 5, verse 23. And implored him earnestly, or pleads with him. So he's going to come, he's going to fall, he falls in front of Jesus, and he pleads, or he implores him earnestly, uh, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. She's at death's door. She's going to die. But if you'll touch her, you can heal her, and then she can go on living. 
and he's pleading with him to come do this. And he's in front, he's on his, on his hands and knees pleading with him. Again, the woman's going to come up behind on her hands and knees and touch him. So you've got Jarius on the front, you've got the woman on the back, and both are coming from different positions of, in, in life, and coming for a need, and both of them are going to need faith, and they're going to be commended for their faith. Chapter 5, verse 24. And he went with them, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, meaning he's being crushed. Uh, sometimes it's translated pressed on. He's mo- going through this crowd, and he, the, the crowd is coming to him, but he's trying to go there. And so as they're coming to him, he's trying to go through the crowd. So people are pressing up against him. And somehow this woman is going to make her way through the crowd. Now, it's not like he just happened to be going by. Like sometimes you see stories, Jesus is going by and happens to go by someone. This woman is, well, it's going to say she heard of him or heard about him. And she's now in pursuit of him coming to be healed. Anyway, he went with Jairus, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had, who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, verse 25 begins a long Greek sentence, verse 25, 26, and 27. So I'll read all of them right here. This is all just one fast pace. Uh, with a lot of things happening in it. Here it is, chapter uh, 25, 26, and 27. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under the many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better than, the, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. That's one sentence. You'd correct that. If you're an English teacher, you'd say, we need to fix this sentence. But in the Greek, look at all those things that are taking place. Um, again, the point is, it's, it's 12 years, which matches the age of the daughter, which is just interesting that it's there. Uh, I break this down. The woman, first thing, having blood, having suffered, having exhausted. Those are the things that she's done. Uh, she's having these things. This, this is her condition. Blood, suffering, and has spent everything she's got, exhausted all of her resources. And then the second point that I write is the words that are describing is she suffered much she's been with many physicians and has exhausted all her resources so much suffering many physicians all her resources has gained her nothing so in all of her pain all of her suffering all of the efforts all the physicians she's seen all the money resources she can get her hands on zero nothing now, what is going to happen? She's going to touch Jesus and get everything. Everything she could want is going to be, and she's going to be restored in the community because this thing happens publicly, which may be one of the reasons why Jesus stops and talks to her. So she now is restored, just like the leper was cleansed. Go get your cleansing, tell the priest, so you're going to be restored to your community. This woman is going to be restored to her community. Now, here's what it says, verse 27. Um, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. So she had heard the things that he had done. She comes up behind him. How she's getting there, it's like she's chasing him through this crowd, which has to be difficult because it's a heavy crowd. And it says, uh, 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 and touched his garment. Now, a lot of people make a deal about this, touching his garment. 
Uh, they talk about the tassels, that she may have touched the tassels that, you know, they were used. In the ancient world, uh, they would, if they could, the idea was if you could touch someone like, like Alexander the Great is recorded whenever he would go somewhere and there would be people come out to meet him, they'd want to touch him. or It was almost like getting some kind of his anointing, getting some kind of his person, whatever he had that made him who he was. If you could touch and get some of his spirit, get some of his you know, whatever it was. And so there's that idea. But we've got to be careful here because it's not going to be I- any kind of a, 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 a touching of power or a tapping in of, of you know, some kind of ritual. Jesus is going to bring it right back to her faith. Now, she may be touching knowing that he's got the ability but, or the power, but it's going to be her faith. He says very clearly, your faith and she's going to act on her faith. She heard. She didn't just hear and, and think about it. She heard, and she's going to respond and come to Jesus. And what Jesus is going to do, she's going to come for a thing, a healing, a power, and Jesus is going to turn and, and talk to the person. It, it, it's going to be she's coming for one thing. She's going to get her thing, but Jesus is not just going to give her the thing or the healing. He's going to talk to the person, which is, again, what the whole idea of these crowds coming around jesus they're coming for something but they really aren't interested in him she's coming for something but he's going to try to give her more uh, than just a healing and send her on her way he's going to make her well we'll see this for she had said if i touch his garments i will be made well and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease now just as she feels in her body that she was healed. She goes, something's changed. This is also very interesting. You're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the divine. And again, this, just be careful with this. Divine, because this is true. The divine and human. Jesus is both God and human. He didn't lay down his divinity to become human. Now, he didn't use, in, in Philippians, he, he laid this down in the sense he's not going to use this to help giving him, him an, an advantage. But Jesus has been God and will always be God. So he's, he's God throughout his ministry. He's God in the manger. It, it even talks about, you know, when I came into the world, when he comes into the world, he says, a body you've not prepared for me. I think we talked about that a few weeks ago. That he's, he's, he's still thinking, he's still divine in the, in, the, in, the, in the manger. But yet he's still human. He's still got to grow. So in one case, power is going to come out from him he's going to by his divine presence is going to know he's going to realize there's been something take place but then as a human he's going to like now again is he just playing the game is he just playing human uh, you know act like who touched me who touched me trying to get the woman to make a confession it, it, yeah that could be the case but if you go through this it really appears he doesn't know. He's looking for who, who was this? Who was this person? So in one sense, he's going to know, and he's got the power, and she's going to come to him like he's God to touch God. She touches God. She's healed. And the man is like, who was this? And so here's the verse, and you can decide how, you know, how this goes. Uh, verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, perceiving in himself the divinity, it's like, 
Someone just touched God. Immediately turned about in the crowd and says, who touched my garment? So, I mean, it's like, is that, that's kind of interesting nonetheless. He instantly realizes the power of God has gone out of me. Who did that? Who touched my garment? Now, if you're, if you, if you're God, you, you should be able to know who touched you. I mean, you know all things. But you just, this is where you continually have this going back and forth. Sometimes Jesus knows and talks like, you know, like we said, you know, the good example is, before Abraham was, I am. But sometimes, you know, he's thirsty or he sleeps or it's like, who just touched me? Now, is he acting like he's hungry? Is he act like, is it, is it really a temptation? Turn these stones into bread. Now, that's where he wouldn't, he, that ideal, if he laid down his divinity, when Satan says, turn these stones into bread, he, I'm not going to do that. Could he? Yes, he could have. But he'd be using his divine power to satisfy us. He's not, he's not going to use that for his human advantage. But yet, was he really hungry? Yes, he was really hungry. Why was he? He's God. Well, he's really human. He's really hungry because he hasn't eaten. But as God, he could really change those stones into bread. But that was a temptation. A temptation that no one in the history of humanity has ever had. Why have I never been tempted to turn stones into pizza? Because I can't do that. I'm not God. Only God could be tempted in the desert in a human body to turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. So he has to be divine and human. And so there's going to have to be, he's not just, now you're getting into some early church uh, heresy when you start saying he just appeared to be a human. He was really just a spirit appearing to be human. He really wasn't hungry. He just, well, I better act like I'm hungry. Boy, I sure could eat you something to eat. Well, I better act like I'm sleeping. I better, you know, at least say, no, he was asleep on the boat because he was tired. He was looking for food because he was hungry. And he's asking, who touched me? Because I don't know who touched me. So again, be careful when you start saying, well, he's just acting the part. Now, now you're getting into some heresy because he's really human. But it's like, but I thought he was God. Well, he is God. Power just came out from him. And that would be that hypostatic union. Both of these, he's fully God, he's fully human. And so, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned to the crowd, in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And you can understand how thick the crowd is and how heavy the crowd is by the disciples' response because he's asking this question, who touched me? And the, the Greek is going to, the word is going to be, he continues to look. He's been looking. Who, who is this? And the disciples are like, everybody. I mean, what? Uh, verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Uh, they're, they're, we're here to help you, but it's like, what do you mean? Everybody, we want to just line everybody up and ask who bumped you, who touched you, because I, I don't understand your question. Well, he someone touched his divinity everybody's bumping into him but not everybody's touching him for power so it's they don't understand it and it says and he looked around to see who had done it that's verse 32 and i've got the greek there because that word the second word in the greek there peri eplepto epto lepto lepto peri epilepto okay i'm trying to sound it out but you can see it right there it's in the greek 
uh, just a literal translation means he was looking around and i made sure the box was highlighted that's a verb imperfect indicative middle so he was actively looking around and was not finding who it was the it is imperfect which indicated continuous action and is translated kept looking he goes who touched me they go well the crowd is pressing around you but he kept looking to see who did this and the woman realizes i'm not just going to get to be here by myself because he's not going to go away until he finds out who it is but the woman knowing that what had happened to her came in fear and trembling because now she's got to approach she came to him because he was god but if i can just come up here and just touch god i'll be healed well you did you touched god and now he's looking and, and you've been healed case closed you came for healing you've been healed no i want to meet the person who came to me who came to me and that's this is very interesting she came to get healed good i'm healed Uh oh god is now looking for me because i came to him in faith i just wanted this oh no you're going to get the whole package i'm going to find you because you are now uh, i want to commend you for your faith you came and i'm going to now well he's going to refer to salvation so there's there's a lot happening here for this woman but the woman knowing what had happened to her came in fear and trembling and it's not i don't think she's afraid you know i've heard it preach she was going to be afraid that the crowd was going to stone her she's unclean and all this i think she's afraid that now she's got the one that she came to get healed from now just imagine we all pray we all want god to intervene in our life and then god does intervene and god keeps coming it's like right i fixed your problem but let let's i want to meet you i want you in i want to be involved in your life not just solving your problems i want you to be mine and that would cause the fear and trembling and fell down before him just like jairus had done and told him the whole truth i i came to just get healed but i i uh, there's a lot more going on here and he said to her and after she told him the whole truth he tells her daughter and that's one of the only times he's going to call he calls one of the people son but this is the only time he addresses someone as daughter daughter which would be you know a personal term your faith has made you well you came to the right place you had faith and you came go in peace and in the in the hebrew that's the greek but it'd be, it's a reference to a it's a typical it's basically goodbye it's, it's it's the typical farewell in the hebrew or the greek it has the word shalom in it uh so it's like you know goodbye shalom type of statement but he's using it now go in peace go in wholeness and be healed of your disease again so she's recovered go in wholeness her life is now back on track and the idea some would say here if you, if you want to go this direction uh she now is now made whole as a woman you can go you're complete she can now get married have a family and be whole and now you've got over here you're going to have a 12 year old girl who is dead jesus is going to restore life to the 12 year old girl and she also now is going to be entering into womanhood ready to marry have children and have a a full life so there could be a connection between both of these 
Both of these, are, they're both females. They're both having deal with 12 years. So, I mean, there's an, an intentional connection here with these stories. But Jesus is going to make both these people whole, resurrected, and complete so they can continue with their life. And his intention is, go, fulfill your life. Uh, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, what a great story. But don't forget, it's in the middle of the Jairus story. So they're trying to go through this crowd. Jairus is trying to get Jesus begged. He came begged, fall down. Come, touch my daughter so she doesn't die. So they're going through the crowd. Wait, someone touched me. We've got one of the synagogue leaders here. We finally got some positive feedback from a religious leader. Wait, someone in the crowd touched me. And now she tells him the whole story, which doesn't just mean she says, I heard about you and I was sick, so I came to touch you. That's the whole story. I, I, if, if I'm going to tell the whole story, and I'm going, it's going to take, you, you, you listen to me talk all the time. I, let me just tell you what happened. You're thinking, we're almost out of here, and it's going to take another half hour. Well, I, I, when I hear that say she tells him the whole story, uh, we're going, they're going to stand there for a while. And Jairus is, or Jairus is, let's go. And sure enough, he says, go, go in peace. All the, and that's what the, Jesus says. And I'm sure, I don't want to say I'm sure, but it's like Mark is capturing what Jesus' essence was he was saying to him. I'm sure he said this, but he may have said more. He may have said, you know, more information and some other things to her. So this is not just a 30-second ordeal. Even the fact that he kept looking for her would indicate it's several moments, several minutes. This may turn into 5, 10, 15, maybe half an hour of time, long enough for the people to leave the house because Jer- Jarius left with the intention that you can get to my house and heal her before she dies. So let's go. Well, they took long enough for the servants or the people from the house to come and tell him she's dead. And sure enough, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jairus is still there listening to this, watching this, checking his watch. He doesn't have a watch. I don't even have a watch. Checking his cell phone. Uh, While he was still speaking, see, it says, while he was still speaking. So it kind of gives the idea that he's not just saying, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's not much. Uh, although it could have been all he said, but it says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, some who said, I said servants, but just as some who came from the ruler's house, some who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? And that's their level of faith. That, that makes sense. We've seen the teacher touch and heal people, but we've never seen him raise the dead. He's, she's slipped into the afterlife. She's gone. Now, verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. In other words, Jairus has just watched this woman, and Jesus just says, your faith has healed you. He gets a report, your daughter's dead. Jesus, it says in this English standard, overhearing, he goes from the woman, turns to Jairus, and says, do not fear, only believe. We're not done here. Only, Only believe. Don't let this, don't listen to this. And let's look at the next page. And there's the, the Greek box right there. 
And the word translated in the, in the transliteration here, or the, uh, the literal translation, is having heard. And it, you can see the word is parakosas, uh, which means three things. It can mean three things. To overhear something not intended for one's ears. So they're talking to Jairus, and Jesus overhears, so that would be correct. He overhears, and, but he responds. Two, it means to pay no attention or to ignore. So when they come and say she's dead, don't bother the teacher, Jesus ignores that and says, don't be afraid, only believe. Or it means to refuse to listen or to discount the truth of something. So all of those are true. They're talking to Jairus, and Jesus hears it. He overhears it. Two, Jesus is going to pay no attention. He does say, oh, when did she die? How much time has she? It's like he doesn't address it. He just overlooks it, refuses to acknowledge it, and it goes right past it. And then the third thing, to refuse to uh, listen or discount it uh, as something true. It's like this is not the case. Jairus, look at me. This is not what happened. She is not gone. Just believe. I'm going there. Stay with me. Which, again, he's asking. Again, it's interesting. The power of God healed the woman, but Jesus doesn't say, well, my power's healed you. He says, your faith has healed you. Which, again, has that, that, that feel of kind of that, that two truths are same, at the two truths are same, true at the same time. His power went in to heal her, so it was Jesus' power, but yet it was her faith that tapped into the power. Now, Jairus has come to Jesus for healing, but his daughter died. But the same thing that the same God that can heal her can raise her from the dead. So just believe. So uh, those are three things that that's a big word having heard or overhearing, to overhear something, to pay no attention or ignore it, and to refuse to listen to it or discount it as, as being true or won't accept it as being true. Verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. Now, this is the first time you're going to have those three picked out. Peter and James are brothers. Uh, excuse me, Peter uh, 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 and Andrew are brothers, but Andrew's not included here. James and John are brothers. And I think you should always remember, John is, is very young. Now, I don't know how young. He's not 12, but he's not 30. He's more like 20, 18, something in that area. He's like maybe the youngest of the disciples. Which, again, he's going to live until 98 A.D. So he's going to live for another 68 years after this. So if it's 30 A.D., 30, it's okay. So he takes these three. The first time that they're, really, they're mentioned together as far as being a group. Uh, now, what is taking place is, uh, one, he's, he's got these individuals. He's, he's training these three. They're going to be his inner circle. Also, there could only, maybe there's only enough room for those three, plus a few people, uh, like the parents. Also, the other disciples are maybe doing crowd control, because if Jesus is going to go into this house, the crowd is going to crush the synagogue leader's house. They're going to go in there also, so maybe the disciples are doing some kind of crowd control. Nonetheless, it identifies Peter, James, and John. Uh, he takes it, but allows no one else to follow him. They came to the house of the ruler. Now, does this mean they stayed out a long ways away, a blocks away? Or are they just going into the house and everyone else is staying outside the house? It says they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. Now that word commotion means great noise. It could be used to translate uh, for a riot. 
It's not a riot, but that's the idea of the great commotion. There's a lot of noise. Someone's just, I mean, look, someone just died. Again, when someone dies in our culture, and then three days later we have a funeral, and there's a great gathering, and people come together, and there's a great presentation. But imagine someone dying, and within a few moments, you've already got professional mourners on the scene that was the culture i mean they're there before G- the, the 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 people from jerias's house the daughter dies they leave the house and come to where jesus and jerias are and by the time jesus gets there the mourners are already on on the job clocked in making money and it, this is these are not aunts and uncles and nephews and cousins that have come to mourn the loss of this girl these are professional mourners that have come. They come and they play. I'll read you some information here. They come with flutes. And there's a, a quote from uh, one of the rabbis that uh, says, even the poor would ha- should have two flutes and one wailing woman. Now, this is not just, this is, a prof- this is like uh, uh, you want, you know, for prom, you need to have a band. Uh, this is, you know, go, we, when I was in high school, we'd have like a prom or homecoming planning, and you'd have this little, ca- I wish we still had this like this, you have a little catalog and all the local bands, you know, the garage bands, no one you ever heard of, but they'd have like a couple guitars, they'd have a bass, they'd have a drummer, and you could pick out the group and you'd call them, and you know, for $300, they'd come set all their stuff up and they'd play for two hours or whatever, and you just pick out a band. That's what this is. This is a funeral band. And this was the poor. Now, again, how poor? Uh, homeless probably doesn't have anything. But, I mean, everyone at least, you know, when you have like a, a cheap funeral, you have the funeral, the cost of the funeral, it's like, okay, we can we'll get the cheap casket, we'll get the, you know, the local service, whatever. This, especially for synagogue ruler, they're going to have more than two flute players and more than one wailing woman. This is going to be intensified to the place that it is called a commotion. And it's loud. And the, the, the theory was, the louder the culture was, the louder you could make it would indicate how much you loved this person. For example, if this person was greatly loved, you'd expect a large funeral, a long service. If it's someone just going like, to you know, check in and check out, short service, get this over with. But this, uh, this synagogue ruler... He's got, Jesus calls it a commotion. And so there's probably, you can imagine, several flute players. They're singing dirges or very sorrowful, spooky, mourning songs in the minor chord, whatever that would be in their culture. And uh, Jesus walks in on this. So by the time he gets to the house, the mourners are already there on the clock. They are there for money. They are there because they're professionals. They're there because the culture expects. It's like a funeral. What do you call a funeral? What's a a funeral guy? Funeral director. Yeah, a funeral director coming, and he's got the routine. Now, again, not making fun of funeral directors. You know, I, I I'm, I'm a teacher, a parent teacher conference. You act like you care about the kids. You know, it's like, do you care about the kids? yes i'm a professional teacher well uh, a funeral director it's like oh yes you know and he's got you know just like a, i do parent teacher conferences are used to and you, you just have this routine you do you know they expect a professional teacher it's like yeah i don't spend a lot of time with your kid I, don't worry you know it's like you at least give the impression 
Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I may be revealing too much here. But uh, again, a funeral director is not going to be like, oh, whatever, I got, I'm so busy, I got 16 today, just put them over there. Yeah, they're going to like, they're going to play the part. They're a professional funeral director. Same thing. These guys were professional mourners. They're going to come in. It's like, okay, put on the morning face, get the morning, get your voice ready. And we start playing the flutes. And let's, let's do, uh, let's do, this is going to be our play or our playlist right here. We're going to play these songs. And they go through the motions. Now, you know they're going through the motions because when Jesus comes in and shuts it down and tells them what the situation is, they start laughing. It's like, they're not like, they're not like broken up about it, they're, or they're not happy. It's like, meaning it's like, we're shutting this band down. It's like, well, are we going to get paid? It's like, okay, here we go, just read this. So, so you get that idea right. These are not family members mourning. These are professional mourners that are already on the scene, already on the clock. Um, I think I've said that all. See, everything's, everything I said is written in chapter 5, verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Uh, again, it's not like, you know, be quiet, you know, the, the family's struggling. They're, they're in full blow. It's the, the band is playing. Speakers are b- bursting. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Why? Why, 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 are you do, why are you here already? The child is not dead, but sleeping. You're mourning and playing these flutes and singing these dirges like you got a dead kid here. The child is not dead. The child is sleeping. And they laughed at him. They didn't say, really? That's great news. We're so happy. It's like, we know dead people. This is, this is, this is important to kind of get this... Because coming out of the 1800s, uh, especially when they got into the, the, the trying to explain the scriptures uh, as being exaggerated, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, uh, what would they call it, before postmodernism, uh, higher criticism would be one of the areas of it, but it'd be liberalism in the scriptures, uh, not political. But, uh, for example, the boy that had the, the, the uh, two loaves and five fish, and Jesus multiplied it and fed the multitude, a way of, I wish I could think of the word, and, and if you're listening, you know what the word I'm thinking of. Uh, they say, well, that's, Jesus didn't really multiply the bread. Everybody brought lunch. But when the, everybody got hungry, there was no food available because everybody was afraid to get their food out. But one little boy comes up and says, well, I've got two loaves and five fish. And then everybody saw that, they were kind of ashamed. That One boy said, well, here, you can have my food. Then, you know, they looked at each other, husband and wife, oh, we've got some bread too. Yeah, and I've got some. And then everybody brought their food out. It's like, well, we got more than enough. So Jesus' miracle was the little boy breaking the ice and bringing out his food. And everybody else brought out their food. And that's how they taught the Bible. I mean, there are seminaries that present that. That's the way they explain the Bible. No, I know this. There's pastors that have reduced the Scripture to that. The miracle was, really, uh, you just need to be giving and kind and caring. And Jesus just showed them this. So Jesus didn't multiply the bread, meaning that He is the bread of life, and that it's not this bread, but it's Him that you must... No, that's just got all. I mean, the night, it's, all things starts falling apart. And the same thing here. 
in the 1800s and in liberal seminaries today. Jesus said it himself, the girl is sleeping. She's in some kind of coma state, some kind of, she's just, or what he prevented was she wasn't dead. They just assumed she was dead and they're going to bury her early before she actually died. So she would have been buried alive. He just prevented her from being buried alive. She was sleeping and he like wakes her up. And that's the way they explain it. And you can find commentaries, I burn them, uh, that will teach. I actually, many years ago, I slipped into a vein of, they're called the anchor the commentaries. And I was reading one, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. And it's just everything, it was an old First Samuel commentary. This was 30 years ago, maybe, maybe more, 35. And I'm reading, it's like, oh, oh, and it was just dumbing everything down to just naturalism. And then I realized, wait a minute. This is, this is one of those liberal commentaries, and, and it's, it's, it's junk. So I, I read conservative commentaries. Anyway, this right here, do not, do not trip on that. You can. You can go liberal with this. You can go natural if you want to. He says, the child is, why, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, again, you can see right there, she's not dead. She's sleeping. I'm going to wake her up. Sleeping is a, a euphemism throughout the Bible for dead. Like the, the dead in Christ, those who are asleep will rise first. And throughout the Bible, Lazarus, Jesus came and he was, uh, he, was he goes, they go, we, we, we need to go. And he, he goes, you know, Lazarus sleeps. We're going to go wake him up. And Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. And Jesus woke him up. So, I mean, th- this is not unusual for this to be a reference to a euphemism for being dead. But the ideal is she is dead to you, but to God, she's just sleeping. Everyone will be awakened in the end. It's called the resurrection. This right here is everyone will be awakened. They sleep in the dust. They'll be awakened. We know what that means. It means brought back to life. She is not dead. She is not gone. She's sleeping. She just needs to be resurrected. This is not a resuscitation. This is a resurrection. So here it says right here, the child is not dead but sleeping. Now again, the, how do we know she's dead, really dead? They came to tell Jairus her, his daughter is dead, so they, they identified her as dead. The mourners are there weeping and wailing for a dead person, not a person that's asleep. So everything, they've recognized this person as dead. Uh, and they laughed at him. Again, they're professionals, and they, he's saying, we're going to cancel the funeral. We're not, we're not going to have a funeral today. And the funeral director laughed at him and says, this person is dead. And, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. So you, we've seen those homes. We've seen like Peter's home and others. They're going to have like a, 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 an open court and different rooms around. Sometimes the rooms will have like an upper stairs or something. Somewhere they're in this area, synagogue ruler's house. They go into the room that she's in, and it's going to be enough room to have Jesus, Peter, James, and John, mom and dad, and the girl. And then Jesus, now again, there's interesting, Jesus is not going to pray. He's not going to call on God. Now, that's not saying you shouldn't pray or call on God, but if you are God, 
you don't pray. You speak. You understand the difference. That's a big deal right here. Sometimes uh, Paul would pray or Peter would pray. Elijah, Elisha, they prayed. They called on God. But now Jesus, again, in this series of demonstrating his deity, is not going to get in this position and seek God and pray to God. He's simply going to, with the same authority he taught the scriptures, I just say to you, this is what it means. He's not going to pray to God. He's just going to say, just like he created the universe, he's just going to speak. It says right here, uh, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi. Now, I had that written down. I got that. I looked that up too, so I say that correctly. That's Aramaic for uh, little girl, I say to you, arise. So he goes up takes her by the hand he just touches her again just like the woman touched him now he's touching this girl who's 12 years old and says little girl i say to you not i pray to god but i as god say to you get up and that little girl again the word uh talita talita uh it means lamb and it was a word a phrase used to refer to little children uh and so it could be he could be saying something like this like it says, little girl, I say to you. Or even one commentator says, it's like saying, little lady, little lady. Like little man, little lady, little lady, I say to you, get up. We're not done here. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years old. Now that's why he inserts, for she was 12 years old. It's a little girl. Now, are we, is this an infant? What is this? She's 12 years old. So she got up and walked because she's 12 years old. So we know she's 12. And why I say she got up and walked? Because she's not like, Open her eyes, you know, oh, I'm starting to feel better. She opened her eyes. She's, I mean, sickness is gone. She gets out of bed, and he strictly charged them uh, not to tell anyone this. Let me read it better. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Uh, and he could try to analyze this. Why did he give her something to eat? Get her blood sugar up or whatever. It, it, uh, the ideal here, if nothing else, is let's not talk about this. No one's going to understand this. The little girl gets up, starts walking around, give her something to eat. She's fully recovered. You don't need to worry about the sickness. She's ready to go. This, this, is, this has been rebuilt. This is ready to go. Just like the woman has been fully restored, your daughter is fully restored. Give her something to eat, and she's good to go. She's 12, and she's going to live on to a full life. And that is that the last miracle right there uh, that we see in chapter 4. Well, we're out of time. I'm going to pray. I could, try, I could keep rambling on about these things and try to make some connection, but you can kind of see the general flow. I'll pray, and we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us, uh, not just in a miracle worker, but in a person that cares about who we are, that is willing to come to us and reveal yourself to us to help us conform into your image. We do ask that we may hear you, understand you, follow you, and allow your spirit to reveal the depths of your person to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here.